Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, digital sports producer. Actually, no, I keep getting my title wrong, Paul. I'm the assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I said digital sports producer for so long, uh, years, it's, it just sticks in my head now. But I am the assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Post-Gazette, joined today by Paul Zeiss, our Post-Gazette sports columnist for the latest Zeiss is Right video. How are you, Paul? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I can't complain at all. I hope everything is good over there. Yeah, we're doing well. And listen, Paul, the Steelers preseason opener is one day away from now, Friday. Um, the We'll finally get to see all of the camp hype in action. And so there's now been, now that we're looking toward the preseason, not just training camp practices to talk about, um, there's been a lot of talk about how much should the starters play in this first preseason game. I think with a lot of these guys, they've been on the same plan for a while, right? T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward. Um, maybe there's some guys like Deontay Johnson that have been around for long enough that they're going to be on that plan now because they're veteran guys. Uh, I'm going to talk – I want to get specifically into Kenny Pickett in a second, but do you have any feelings on how much any of those guys should play given you know where the Steelers are in training camp? Well, uh, the veterans, some of the veterans, Cam Hayward, T.J. Watt, it would make no sense to play those two guys. Why, why do they need to play? It makes no sense. The only thing that can happen for those two guys is they get hurt, right? I mean, so, no, I, I don't think those two guys should play. Um, you know, Micah Fitzpatrick probably fits in that category at this point, too. Even though he's a younger guy, I would say he probably fits in that category. Uh, Alex Highsmith maybe has to play a little bit, but he shouldn't play that much either. Uh, but offensively, I think everybody has to play. You know, maybe you give Najee Harris a couple of carries and get him out of the game. But at the end of the day, with the offensive line sort of being rebuilt, with Kenny Pickett still being relatively new and young, with the receiving core trying to build a, a rapport and Allen Robinson and, you know, uh, they're trying to build a rapport with Kenny Pickett. Um, you know, the only guy I might hold out, and it's because of his concussion history, is is uh, uh, Fryermuth? I might hold him out, but Kenny Pickett has to play at least two quarters, if you ask me. I think this preseason he needs to play. You know what? Do they have three games? I think he needs to play uh, at least six quarters. And I know that that I'm probably in the minority of that, but why would you? You know, to me, your offense has sort of been rebuilt. It's sort of been you know re uh, reconfigured. And so since it's been rebuilt and reconfigured, these guys need to play together a little bit. And that's why I would tell you, 
I think Kenny Pickett should play a little bit. I think that their offensive line should all play probably a, a whole a whole half. Um, you want to tell me that you get Deontay Johnson out of there rather quickly? Okay. Um, but he's trying to still build a rapport with Kenny Pickett. And the same thing I would tell you, you know, probably applies to uh, George Pickens. Um, so I, I am of the belief that on defense you could rest some guys. But offensively, they need to get as many of these guys reps as they possibly can. Well, I think that goes doubly, Paul, because how much Mitch Trubisky do you need to see? How much Mason Rudolph do you need to see? I think those guys are both, at this point, proven commodities as, as backups as, as well. I think it'd be one thing if you had you know, a younger quarterback room and maybe you had a number two that you wanted to get some reps. I don't think that they have that. Do you, Paul? No, I mean, Mitch Trubisky is what he is. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, if he has to play, it means somebody is going to lose, right? It's, I mean, I mean, it, it means somebody. I mean, sorry, if he has to play, it means somebody, namely Kenny Pickett, got hurt. So to me, you can't worry about getting those guys as much work as you want to. Now, next year, if Kenny Pickett plays all, you know, 15, 16, 17 games this year, really comes into his own, becomes that quarterback. Okay, next summer, I think you have a luxury of, of letting him sit out and protecting him and making sure he doesn't get hurt. But at the end of the day, um, you, you, you cannot worry about trying to get work for your backups at quarterback when you've got a quarterback who's got, you know, minimal experience and is still learning and trying to get better. Is, is the vibe you're getting from Mike Tomlin that that's, in fact, what's going to happen, that we're going to maybe see Kenny Pickett more than we would see an otherwise established starting quarterback? Because I, I believe he made a comment at practice on Wednesday saying, look, if you're, if you're going to fight, you need to spar or something like that. A very, it's a very Tomlin answer to that question. But <laughs> I think that kind of goes in line with kind of what we're saying here, Paul, of, um, you know, that, that you want to see you want to see all this hype that's coming out of training camp be actualized to some degree. You don't want them to play the whole game, um, but you don't want them to just have one drive either. I think the two quarters that you brought up is interesting because I think that's that's a very rare thing to see from a starter in the first preseason game, but I don't think it's completely unwarranted in this situation. No, I mean, again, you, you got to figure out what you have, and I think your, your offense needs to play together a little bit. And I get it. They're in training camp, but practice is a little different. You know, there's practice, intensity, and uh, and then there's preseason game intensity. Then there's regular season game intensity. Then there's playoff game intensity. Well, you got to build from one level to the next. That's just how it is, you know. And so while it's interesting and it's wonderful, and you know, I guess the videos actually got some people in trouble. But the videos of of Joey Porter Jr. and Pickens going at it, for instance, yeah, that's fun. But you know what? When they play in the preseason and they're playing against a, uh, somebody in a different color uniform, it's going to be even a little bit more intense. You know, it's going to be a little bit even more difficult. To, you know, for 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 those two guys to 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 win those battles. And then when I look at Kenny Pickett, and I get it in preseason games for the most part, you're going to see vanilla uh, defenses. You're not going to see a ton of blitz packages. They're not going to show a whole lot. You're going to get a lot of generic defenses, but you know what? That's always been my argument for playing your quarterback more because to me, preseason games, I don't know that your quarterback is in a ton of danger. Um, just given the way that they're playing. Yeah. You know, anything can happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think if you play Kenny Pickett, a couple of, uh, a couple of um, uh, quarters, every game, he'll get a little bit better. Timing will get a little bit better. 
you know, rapport with his offensive uh, offensive line will get a little better, et cetera, et cetera. How important, Paul, is it kind of given what you're saying that the, the defenses are a little bit basic and given that we pretty much know how things are shaking out at quarterback for the Steelers, how important is it for them to play maybe a complete, you know, 60-minute game and, and look good offensively, maybe put up 30 points in a game like this, given that you would think all three of these quarterbacks are going to be executing the same game plan um, and, and they're pretty much in their pecking order. So is, is this does that also make it kind of unlike, you know, sometimes we look at preseason games and we say, oh, well, the offense looked good on the, on the first two drives that the starter had, and therefore, you know, that's all that really mattered. I kind of look at it as, as we look at this offense as a whole, I think you want to see all three of those quarterbacks perform well within it, um, and, and I think you want to see a 60-minute effort. Do you think that that's important, Paul? I think it's less important because of this reason. Most of the guys playing in the second half of these games – are going to be boxing, you know, boxing oranges at a, at a warehouse somewhere, doing something like that in about three weeks. And that's not a criticism of, you know, because listen, if you get to an NFL camp, you're a good, really, really, really good football player. But getting to a camp and making a team is a huge gap. And the thing is, Adam, we have no idea how good these guys are that aren't making teams, right? There's such a wide gap. You make a team, we've got a pretty good idea how good you are, right? But in the second half, can you tell me, you know, especially as we get closer to the end, you know, end of the third quarter, do you have any idea, the guys that are running around out there uh, for Tampa, how good they are, how good they aren't? Uh, combine that with the fact that you have, you know, very little idea how good maybe the supporting cast for the quarterback is. It, 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 you know, and you never, you just never know what that is or what that's going to be. And I think that's the most important thing to me is, I think you want to see the team play well throughout the game, but it's very, very difficult for me to read a whole lot into anything that happens in the second half. It just is. Some people, you know, they want it to become the gospel, but I just, I watch these preseason games. I mean, the Jets-Browns game was a great example the other night. You know, it's pretty clear when the Jets put in, you know, their 15-string guys, they just, they're, 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 Third and four stringers are worse than the Browns. That's really what that came down to to me. Yeah, I guess the only thing I'd say, Paul, is if this offense is reinvented, I want to see the offense, regardless of the context, doing things it didn't do last year. And maybe that on a certain level is impossible when you've got third string guys in there. But I'd like to see them taking some more chances and being a little bit more aggressive than we saw for much of the regular season a year ago because, you know, what? there's nothing to lose in this game, Paul. It doesn't count. Uh, so that's kind of my view on, on why I'd well, want to see well, a little bit more. I would agree with that, but here's the thing, Adam. Do you really think the offense has been reimagined? Well, from I, everything I that you've read, everything that you've heard, every quote that you've read, do you really think it's been? I, I just, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a lot of the same kind of thing. They want to run I, the ball. They want to. They want to establish the run. They want to run the ball. They're they're going to be conservative. They're still apparently not throwing the ball in the middle of the field. I, I just, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know that it's going to be all that much different. I mean, I share your skepticism, Paul. I, I've been, I guess I've been reading a lot more of the sunshine than you have because I want it, I, to believe in it. I want to see it in front of my own eyes. So that's kind of why I'm saying I want to, I want to care more about just the, and more, more about than just the first two drives. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Paul, my last Steelers question for you is uh, last week when we were on the podcast, we talked about 
the Steelers receivers a little bit um, and, and how they've, you know, grown. And, and there were some people in the comments, Paul, that, that thought you were discounting the Steelers receivers a little bit. And then you wrote a column saying you felt that you <laughs> you feel that the Steelers receivers are a, a point of concern. I'm going to give you the floor just to kind of explain your point to the YouTube audience a little bit more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Well, you've got George Pickens, who's a game changer, sort of. But he's got to do it more consistently, and he's got to do it for a whole season, and he's got to do it every game. And it can't be he flashes one or two incredible catches, and then we don't hear from him again. So he's got that potential. So I'll put him in that category, okay, even though he really hasn't earned it. I, I know a lot of people want to you know, adorn him the next, uh, the next uh, in, uh, you know, great uh, Steeler receiver. Maybe he's that, maybe he isn't, but let's, I'll even grant you that. Okay. Who else in this receiving core scares you, Adam? If you're a defensive coordinator, who else scares you? Deontay Johnson is a nice receiver. He's a good, solid NFL receiver. He's a good, solid player. He makes some plays. He, you know, if he gets loose in, in the open field, he can make some things happen. He's not beating you over the top. He's not the kind of guy that's going to change game after game with big play after big play. He's not a dynamic talent. He's just a good player. Okay, now you've gone to where? Who, who's next? Allen Robinson, you know, who I think, you know, was really, really good at Penn State, had a really decent, you know, early part of his career, but he's going into, I think, year nine or year 10. He's, he's, he's basically – uh, uh, pushing 30, and, and he's been basically they, they want him to be a possession receiver, like I wrote in my column. If he, if he catches 400 yards and say five touchdowns, they will feel like they, you know, that they act, got an absolute steal from him. And I'm not sure he can even get to those numbers, but I'm just saying, does he scare you if you're a defensive coordinator? The camp darling apparently is Calvin Austin. Well, except for the fact that I've now heard people say. It's not – people uh, have, have, who are up there who have been reporting on it say it's not a slam dunk that he makes the team. So, okay, he makes uh, some flashy plays and this and that and everything. Uh, I mean, Cody White, Des Fitzpatrick. I mean, who am I missing? My point is this is not a really, really talented group. It's not a group that really scares you. It's not a group that really is, is loaded with playmakers. I mean, Adam, am I what am I missing? Tell me if I if I'm missing something, tell me that. But I am looking at this group of receivers 
And I think that they're, for the most part, pedestrian, a little better than pedestrian. Pickens has a chance to be, you know, a super, superstar kind of player. I get it, but he hasn't proven that he can do that yet. He's proven he can make some splash plays, but he hasn't proven he can be the superstar where every single play you got to account for him, number one. And then, and then, and then you've got, you know, Deontay Johnson and Allen Robinson are just sort of, okay, they're decent receivers. I don't know that either one of them is great. And like I wrote about Deontay Johnson, I keep hearing that he's a game changer. If he's a game changer, how can you go an entire season and not score a touchdown? Not one. And, 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 and so, you know, that, that, that's not maybe all his fault, but I would be willing to bet that you could go through, for instance, Larry Fitzgerald's, you know, who's played with some really bad quarterbacks. He found a way to get into the end zone once pretty much every season. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb like that, you know, and, and these guys that are like legitimately superstar or game changing type receivers, they figure out a way to get into the end zone. You know, they figure out how to do it once in a while, uh, even if they have to make an extraordinary play. So that's my only point with the Steelers receivers. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying when you have a young quarterback, <clears throat> you know, I get why you want to build an offensive line around him and all this other stuff. I don't feel like they gave him enough help at playmaking, at that playmaking position at receiver. And so we'll see how it plays out. But I don't feel like I'm being unfair because I just put the question to you. If you're a defensive coordinator, who are you afraid of in this receiving core? Maybe Pickens a little bit, right? Maybe Pickens a little bit. Other than that, it's it's a rather pedestrian group. Well, Paul, I will say, I felt like on a lot of post-game shows that you and I did after games last season, I remember talking about, you know, the, the quarterbacks were getting all the blame, but the receivers weren't open. And, and I think Deontay yeah, Johnson was part of that. Um, Chase Claypool, who's gone, was part of that. Uh, but then even George Pickens was not open all the time either, Paul. And, and that's reflected in, you know, I do our pro football focus grades post every week during the season. And I did one a couple of weeks ago just saying who needs to step up. Um, and the two of the people on my list were George Pickens and Deontay Johnson because they're numbers, Paul. Now, you can take pro football focus with a grain of salt. Absolutely. It's not gospel. But it's just another data point to kind of reinforce what I think you and I are saying, which is neither of these guys were spectacular last season. Maybe George Pickens has upside, can take that year one to year two leap, but it, it needs to be proven. I don't think that you can say that the Steelers definitely have great receivers. I think they have to go out and prove something. So I, you know, I tend to agree with you that, you know, there's potential there, but, but we haven't seen it yet. No, we need to see it. We definitely need to see it consistently from Pickens. And, you know, Deontay Johnson wants to be a, considered a playmaker, you know, find the end zone every so often. Yes, I agree. Paul, uh, before we move on, talk about some college realignments, some Penguins, some Pirates, I uh, just want to thank Pella, our sponsor for all our Steelers coverage here on the Post because that's worse now YouTube page of the season. Uh, there's no better place to get windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella windows and doors. To find the right product for your home and budget, give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. That's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Paul, I want to move into some conference realignment talk. Obviously, the big news this past week, Oregon and Washington are heading to the Big Ten. A handful of schools are heading to the Big 12 from the Pac-12. 
as of this, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. There's been no other defections, so it's still the pack four of Stanford, Cal, uh, Oregon State, and Wazoo. But, Paul, there has been some apocalyptic talk about what this means for college football. I read Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated was comparing this to the assassination of Franz Ferdinand that started World War One. I. I said, I think we've, I think we've gotten a little <laughs> out of control here. Like, I understand why a lot of people are frustrated about college football going in this direction, Paul, of consolidating, of blowing up a 100-year major conference, basically because TV networks didn't want to pay for a couple of schools. I don't like the precedent that sets. But I also don't think that the sport is going to descend into, you know, a lot of people are afraid that we're on the precipice of a NFL light type of situation. I just want to say this, Paul. I've been I've been tweeting about this topic a lot. And I brought up the example of Penn State playing Rutgers, Maryland and Indiana every year. They've lost to those three teams that combined five times. They've beaten them almost 100, Paul. Dude, like. Just because those schools are close to Penn State hasn't made that good football, and that's a third of Penn State's schedule. I think that there, you know, there's a component of rivalries in in college sports, but I don't know that just because you're close to a, another school that that is the fabric of of college sports, and that that's what we're losing here. Well, I think it was Chip Kelly said it best. Chip Kelly said Notre Dame is independent in football. They play in a conference in every other sport. Why can't all the rest of us do the same exact thing? He's exactly right. I don't know if you saw my column, but one of the things I wrote about this is that the people that run college football are idiots, okay? They are idiots with big egos that it seemed to make this far more complicated than it needs to be. You get together the power conference teams, right? I think it adds up to about 64 teams. You go beyond that to the next 15 or 16 best teams. Even if you want to go to the next, you know, 26 teams, whatever. You go, so you'd have to go, if you went to the next 16, to to, to get to, uh, say, 80 teams, right? So say you even went to 96 teams. You have 96 teams split up in four leagues. 80 would work better because it's 420 team, you know, leagues, but... If it's 424 team, that's fine too. Two divisions of 12 teams each, right? And with a with a with a with a conference championship game. Um, and at the end of the day, you already have the structure in place for a playoff. And if you if you if you did that and you had a commissioner that you could appoint, you could go to be NFL light, which is what they need to do. They need to be. So the commissioner and some of the key uh, people that run football, they negotiate a television contract for the entire lot and the playoffs and everything else. Everybody gets a big piece of the pie. And guess what? You don't have to deal with stupid NCAA rules like the two kids, the kid from North Carolina or the kid from Florida State that all of a sudden are, are, are rolled ineligible. You don't have to deal with all kinds of other things that are going on in the NCAA. And the other thing is, you don't blow up the NCAA tournament. You could keep the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC. All these schools could be all. They could still stay in their structure. Because bottom line is, all of this is about football. All of this conference realignment is about football. UCLA's softball team doesn't want to play in the Big Ten. UCLA's, you know, uh, uh, USC's volleyball team, they don't want to play in the Big Ten. You know, 
This isn't being done for those sports. It's not even being done for basketball. It's football. So football should break away, all become in, you know, basically one big conglomerate of, of teams that negotiate their TV deal. Then you don't have to worry about this crap ever again because it would all be taken play, taken care of. It would all be negotiated. It would all be handled. And then all of the softball teams and the baseball teams and the basketball teams and the swimming teams and the wrestling teams and the equestrian teams and everything else, they can all stay in their conferences and everybody's happy. It, it, the way it is going now, Adam, next year, the year after, we're going to continue to have these stupid things where teams are going to defect and leave here, and there's rumors about this team and rumors about that team. As long as there is like five or six different contracts for TV deals and everything else, this is never going to stop. So uh, to me, this is all about football. So just make football its own entity. What would you say, Paul, though, to the people who'd say, I mean, that's, that's the argument Florida State's making. We're more valuable to this television deal than most of the schools in the ACC are. We should make more money than most of the schools in the ACC do. I mean, you're, you're going to have that. If you if you try to move to a model like that, Paul, I don't think you can say every 80 teams. I don't think you can say they're all going to make the same amount of money because I think you're going to have those top 10, 15, 30 brands saying, why are we making the same as, as Northwestern? Why are we making the same as Indiana? Um, you know, I, I think that's probably what's preventing what you're outlining from happening, don't you? Because you need somebody to play, period. You need somebody to play. You can't have a 16-team league. Guess what? If we said we're going to take the 16 most valuable properties and put them all in one leg, you know what would happen? All the coaches would be bitching about how hard it is to win in that leg. So you need somebody to play. That's number one. Number two, you don't have a conference if you don't have everybody sharing the money the, uh, the same way. If you don't have a conference. Texas and Oklahoma tried to do that. They tried to do that with the old Mountain West. They tried to do that with USC. It does not work. At the end of the day, it just doesn't work. You, you, part of being in a conference is that you are negotiating together as one, period. And you know what? This is what I would say to Florida State to Clemson, and to every other one of these schools in the ACC. You're the dumbasses that signed the grant of rights. You signed it because you wanted the security it provided. You signed it because you wanted to know that, hey, nobody else is going to be able to leave, so therefore you signed it because it provided you a certain level of security. You live with it. I mean, this thing where we sign contracts, and now we're upset because the contract isn't what, well, that's your fault. These other conferences, they didn't sign grant, grant, they didn't sign their life away with grant of rights deals so they could negotiate with other people. But you were the ones that signed the deal. So deal with it. And the other part of it is if you feel like, oh, well, we're only we're going to be at a 15 or $20 million deficit from other schools, guess what? Get on the phone and call your donors. I mean, that's how you, what are we talking about here? Uh, I think they're so delusional, this idea that somehow, we should make more money than other ones because, well, you know what? You need you need somebody to play, number one. You need somebody to play, and that's a huge, huge, important thing. And two, you signed up to be a part of a conference. You don't have a conference if everybody's sharing money differently. It does not work, which is why I, I still can't quite understand Oregon, Washington, 
Now they're going to go to the Big Ten. They're going to take less money than the other Big Ten teams. And when you add in, and I saw somebody did this, when you add in some of the increased travel costs, the amount of money they're going to actually be making from the Big Ten deal is not that much more money than you know what they'll get from the Pac-12. That's the whole point of it. So I, I'm going to tell you, I, I just think that greed is involved, obviously, but there's a lot of stupidity involved as well. Let's talk about the local teams and what this means for them, Paul. Um, Pitt is, is in, a, I think, a weird situation with the ACC where you have these big schools that want out, but it's possible they will not get out for the next 13 years until that grant of right expires or until you get significantly closer to the point where you could afford the buyout on that deal, Paul. Um, Long term, if you're a Pitt, I think in the near term as a Pitt fan, you're probably reasonably confident that, you know, despite what Florida State says, that they're not going to get out of this. But in the long term, Paul, it's not looking good if if that's how angry Florida State is now. Imagine how they're going to feel a decade from now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, again, the ACC happens to be in a pretty good situation from the standpoint of all of these teams signed their grant of rights deal. So they signed away their life, basically, regardless of how many different ways and times they want to get out of it. That's just how it is. Um, you know, and, and Florida State and Clemson have had all kinds of legal experts looking into trying to get them out of it and all this other stuff. But here's the other thing. Is Florida State sure that any of these other conferences want them? Because I've heard a whole lot of noise from Florida State and not so much from other teams. And now the ACC is talking about bringing on Cal and Stanford. Adam, can you please explain to me how that helps them in any way, shape, or form? I, I think it's a matter of those, those schools need a life raft, right? And, and they're the biggest – two of the biggest brands you got left on the board that you could possibly add right now. I think – here's what I think is going to happen with that, Paul. I think that the Big Ten just wants to make them sweat to get a more favorable – because it just – the Big Ten is the only place where it makes sense at this point, right? Because those two schools have such, you know, rich tradition in athletics generally. They'd be big assets for, you know, the Big Ten network and some of that other programming that, that you know, this is not football. And, you know, they're, they, they're decent football schools historically. They just don't have a ton of interest in their local fan bases. But I think the Big Ten is just trying to drive down the cost of bringing them in. But it's I think that's the only place that makes any sense. No, I would agree. I just, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point where I, I none of this stuff makes any sense to me at all. It's all ridiculous. Um, and, and, and when I hear Cal and Stanford, you know, if you're going to take Cal and Stanford, you might as well take Oregon State and Washington State too and at least have some semblance of a Western division. I mean, unfortunately for Louisville, guess what? You're now in the Western Division. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I bet you Pitt would probably be in the Western Division as too. But, but at the end of the day, it, it just doesn't add up to me. And, and I, I agree with some of your sentiment that regional, uh, regional rivalries and whatnot don't necessarily make for good things. But here's the thing. For Penn State, for Maryland, and for Rutgers, 
for their baseball teams, their softball teams, their swimming teams, their non-revenue teams. It makes a whole hell of a lot of sense to play Rutgers in Maryland if you're Penn State and vice versa. Uh, that's what I'm going to tell you is, is something that gets lost in all of this stuff because all we're focused on is football because it is all driven by football. Well, Paul, I, you know what? I wanted to ask you that question, though. As, as an AAU coach for a long time, a lot of these kids growing up in any of these sports that we're talking about, these non-revenue sports, spend four or five hours a weekend traveling to tournaments. And, and, and you know, that's that's what they have to do to play other kids that are as talented as them. you got to go outside of Lake Pittsburgh. you got to go outside of your city. you got to play, you know, teams. And you can't fly. In most cases, you're, you're driving to – Buffalo, right? You're driving yeah. to Columbus. You're driving to Cleveland. How much different is it really going to be for some of those athletes, though, compared to what it takes just to get to that point in their athletic careers? Well, again, it's a major difference going from State College to Piscataway as opposed to State College to Eugene, Oregon. There's a there's a major difference, you know. There's a major difference, and and so to me, you know, the regional part of it also. I think helps, you know, especially a school like Pitt, right, where you have to sell tickets every week. Penn State, they're going to have 110,000 people there, regardless if they bring in Podunk U, right, or Notre Dame. It doesn't matter. They're going to have 108 to 110,000 fans there for the most part. Now, when they lost a few years in a row and things as such, we started to see that number erode a little bit. But they're back winning 10 games. They're going to have fans there. If you're Pitt, okay, why the ACC has hurt Pitt a little bit, attendance-wise, is because people in Pittsburgh have no attachment to Wake Forest, to Virginia, you know, for say, to 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 some of those schools like that. Whereas when they were in the Big East, it was Cincinnati, you know, I guess uh, Connecticut, it was Rutgers, it was Temple, it was. You know, those were Syracuse. Those were teams that all resonated with Pitt fans. That's not to say that it meant that the attendance was much higher, but the interest was a little bit more just from the standpoint of there was some regional, you know, familiarity with it. And and, and I'm telling you, I, I talk to Pitt fans all the time. They just, they don't get excited about Pitt Georgia Tech or Pitt Wake Forest or Pitt, you know, it's just. And so I think there is something to be said about having some semblance of regional, uh, uh, you know, regional um, outlines or footprints for these conferences. Does it have to be, you know, you're in the East, you're in the, no, but I think it's kind of asinine that Pitt and West Virginia, two schools that are far more similar than dissimilar in terms of a, a number of different, you know, indicators and measures that are, but what, 58 miles apart or whatever they are. One's playing in a conference with uh, Florida State and Miami. The other's playing in a conference with Utah and Arizona. And they're not playing each other in the same conference. It makes no sense to me. Well, if you throw Penn State into that, Paul, there's th there's four major conferences left, and we've somehow found a way to have our three regional schools in three of them. Right, so, exactly. That, that's pretty wild. No, that, you're exactly right. We have the Big 12 and the ACC, and, and the, only, the only one we don't have is the SEC. Um, and of course, if the SEC invited West Virginia tomorrow, they would go probably. So who knows? But you're right. We've got four conferences now. We've got three schools that are that are you know three major schools around here are now in three of the four different conferences. Yeah, that's that part is pretty wild, Paul. 
Um, I want to get into briefly uh, Eric Carlson. The trade was made uh, this weekend. I wanted to get your reaction because I, I guess the way I want to ask this question, Paul, is how does it change your perception of where this team can go this season? I've been drawing the comparison to that 2000-2001 team with Marty Strzok, Alexei Kovalev, uh, Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager. They got to the Eastern Conference final. They were never really a threat to win the Eastern Conference, let alone the Stanley Cup. But they were a lot of fun. That was the team that got me to fall in love with hockey, Paul, growing up. I mean, is that a reasonable expectation at this point? Is Maybe you're not a serious contender to win the Stanley Cup with this deal, but you're a serious contender to have some fun. Well, I mean, if I'm, if I'm doing it right, I'm supposed to be like, hooray for the Penguins. This is the greatest move ever. <laughs> One of the greatest trades in Pittsburgh history. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, but... I'll say this. I think there's somewhere between the fifth and the sixth or seventh best team in the East right now. So before the trade, I would have told you they were somewhere between like the sixth and the ninth best team in the East. Um, They're going to be able to play a lot more of Mike Sullivan's style of hockey, and that's a good thing. Uh, You know, are they a legitimate Stanley Cup contender? Uh, I would say this, I, I, I have to see a team with Tristan Jari as their goaltender be a Stanley Cup contender before I believe they're a Stanley Cup contender. I do agree with this. They'll be a lot of fun to watch. And they're going to have some you know stretches in the regular season where they look like the best team, when they're playing well and clicking on all cylinders. Uh, but again, I keep going back to this in the back of my head. Malkin played. 81 games or 82 games last year. Crosby played 82 games last year. Latang only played 55, but he played at a really high level. I don't know if it's realistic that all of that uh, happens again, where those three guys all play at a real high level, stay healthy, you know, and, and, and Carlson's been a guy that's had a hard time staying healthy. So, you know, to be a Stanley Cup contender, to me, you've got to be able to stay healthy. And you've got to have enough goaltending, you know. And I, I, I don't. I think both of those are real legitimate questions. But they are going to be really fun to watch, and there are going to be stretches of this season where they mow through teams, and you say to yourself, maybe they are the best team in hockey because of the way they play. Yeah, I guess what you're saying, Paul, is they need Johan Hedberg or some uh, later day Johan Hedberg to come in here at goalie midseason out of nowhere with the. You remember? Remember the Moose? Yes. Remember the Moose. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's that's part of the point too, Paul, is we're still along. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that could happen between here and there. Um, and so I think that's part of what gives me optimism as well, is, is that someone's going to get hurt. You're going to have someone on long-term injured, injured reserve. That may free you up to make some deals, uh, maybe find some diamonds in the rough. Um, but I'm with you, Paul. I, I don't know that I'm like, uh, yeah, this team's contending to win the Eastern Conference yet. Um I think maybe they could beat the Rangers. And I, I think a lot of people would be happy with that, Paul. You, you knock right. off a team or two, you go on, let's say maybe you go on a Florida-like run, although I think Florida's probably was always a better team than they you know played for a lot of this season. Right, right. Um, yeah, but that's kind of that's kind of what I'm looking for is, you know, good enough to beat some teams when you get to the playoffs, even if you're not ultimately championship material. Paul, the last thing I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on was Mitch Keller, and, and we were talking before the show, you'd like to throw David Bednar – in this category for the Pirates. Um, they've looked very hittable in the last, you know, pretty much since the All-Star break. 
And, um, you know, Mitch Keller is, I think it's been a little bit of a longer run for him than with David Bednar, but, you know, we were just talking about, should you trade these guys? You probably could have gotten something decent for them. And then as soon as you don't trade them, that it seems like they've, they've fallen off. I will say that, you know, I, I do the peripheral, uh, analytics and, and I don't think there's a ton of stuff in Mitch Keller's profile that looks terrible yet. I think he needs to get the home run rate down, but if he gets closer to his career averages, I think he's going to be okay. Do you have a different thought on that, Paul? Are you legitimately concerned about these guys? Well, let me preface this by saying I think on these very airwaves and on the airwaves at 93.7 The Fan and in the Post-Gazette itself writing, I've made it pretty clear I thought the Pirates should have traded both of these guys. Uh, I made the case that maybe they could keep Keller because he's a starting pitcher, but it wouldn't have. I wouldn't have – you know, uh, if they got a, a decent, a reasonable return, it wouldn't have been a big deal for me to trade them. The thing, my, my thing with Bednar is this. I think he'll be fine, okay? I don't think, I mean, I think he'll be fine. But, as I always say, those big, strong, power pitchers, those power arms, right? They get fatigued, number one. Number two, if you look traditionally, they uh, they tend to follow a really big year with a year that there's not so good, right? They tend to be saddled with some kind of little arm troubles here and there and things of the such because they put so much strain on their arm. Now, that's not to say that David Bednar will, uh, but it is to say that I thought his value probably was highest two weeks ago than it'll ever be. That's just the way I feel. Mitch Keller, I look at the fact people went crazy and well, you know, from last mid, you know, from last say mid-August or early August last year to like early June this year, he was really, really, really good. People comparing him to Garrett Cole and all this other nonsense. But you're throwing an entire body of work before that out, which probably suggested that he was playing above his head for a while. And now he's probably reverted back to sort of what he is. I mean, at the end of the day, he made some adjustments. And you and I both hate the cliche, but the league punched back and all this other stuff. So now what? Um, To me, I think they might have gotten the best out of Miss Keller they were going to get from him last year and early this year. So, um, you know. I'll I'll stop you there, Paul. He's he's still only really got that one pitch. It's the sinker. Right. I mean, if you look at the the pitch values on fan graphs, that's the pitch that he that he <laughs> is above average with, and everything else he's below average with. And and when you say the league punches back, I think that's the the wonky way to get into it is when you're just a one pitch guy. There's only one thing the teams need to figure out, right? And and I think right. that might be some of what's what's going on here is when you only have that one pitch. I think that is part of the problem. Absolutely. It's absolutely a part of the problem. And that's why I said, I think he's a guy who basically, you know, he pitched above his head for a few months, you know, maybe even a little bit longer body of work than that. But to me, I look at your entire body of work. One of the reasons why I'm a horrible person uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, people saying that I'm very negative about the Pirates or I'm pessimistic or this, that, the other thing is because I look at your entire body of work, Right. I don't care, for instance, that over the last 25 games, Joe Schmo, you know, is hitting 462. Okay, but he's hitting 215 for the season. So who cares what he's doing the last, you know what I mean? 
It just means that basically he's reverting back maybe to what he is, which is a 230 hitter. And, or, you know, because over the course of a, a 600 at bats, you're going to have ups and downs. And so when I looked at Mitch Keller, I just said to, you know, it, it could be a situation of where he just pitched over his head for a short period of time. And, and now he's going to revert back to being that Mitch where every single time he gets off the mound after the game, Derek Shelton is saying, well, you know, Mitch is, uh, Mitch is okay. He's fine. He's close. He just missed a spot. He had one bad ear, bad luck here, bad this. I mean, eventually it is who you are. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I'd like to see when that home, home run rate, because that usually doesn't change a whole lot, Paul, until, you know, you get toward the end of your career and you're a, materially different pitcher but usually when it's elevated two three tenths you know that's something that's going to you know revert to the mean and if it does I think that's going to help his numbers a little bit but I also agree with you that I'm not sure he's a two ERA guy like he's just not got that of that caliber I think he's probably a guy who lives in the upper threes um, lower fours in terms of ERA and that's basically where he is now I mean he's a little bit I think he's falling a little bit back from there but you know, I think that's basically where he's going to live. And I, there's still a lot of value in that, Paul. It's just, yeah, I don't think he's the ace that a lot of people were were excited to crown him as, you know, when, when he was making that run to the All-Star game. As I said, and you can rewind the tape a couple weeks ago, if you look at it, he's probably a three or a four on a team that wants to be a contender. That's what he is. And so, you know, if you were able to fool somebody into taking him, then that's you know that's what it is. But they 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 didn't even try. Yeah, and so I we'll see how that plays out, Paul. Any final thoughts before we sign off for this week? This was a busy episode. I think we could have kept talking for a lot longer. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on. And next week, guess what? Next week will be the first time we get to talk about dissecting and cutting apart a preseason game and coming up with way over the top takes on what actually happened in, in the pre in, in, in a quote unquote, in a preseason game. Yeah. And then Paul, it's not going to be too long to you and I are doing our uh, post game show. So everyone make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel for that. We'll be talking after every game this season. Uh, we did it last season. We had a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to that again, Paul. All right, man. Thank you so much. We'll do it again. Absolutely. We'll talk to you all again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.